Hello, good morning, and welcome to another episode of AI Daily. We've got a few interesting stories here, as always. I'm Farb, joined by my co-hosts, Ethan and Connor, as always. Let's jump into our first story, evaluating the ripple effects of knowledge editing in language models. Uh, in this paper, folks are trying to understand the effects of changing individual facts or adding facts to an LLM and what ripple effects that causes. The example they give is, you know, if you say that Jack Depp is the son of Johnny Depp, well, then that implies that, you know, there are siblings of Jack as well. So you have to update your understanding of the siblings if you're just adding a fact about Jack Depp being the son of Johnny Depp. Connor, tell us a, tell us a little bit more about this paper and, and what you thought about it. Yeah, it's a very interesting issue they pointed out with the problems of editing LLM knowledge bases that no one's really talked about before. As you said, you can pretty easily nowadays edit a single fact in LLM, but pretty much every fact has a ripple effect. Another example they gave was if you're updating the model to say that the Eiffel Tower is in Paris and not London, then the model also has to understand the change in time zone that the Eiffel Tower is in, the change in country that the Eiffel Tower is in. There's a lot of ripple effects from essentially every fact that makes it not just a singular fact you have to change, but a large swath of knowledge in the LLM. So because of that, they wrote it up in this paper to more describe the problem deeper. And they put a benchmark together of 5,000 facts and 5,000 examples of different kinds of ripple effects that is a benchmark for LLM editing. And they tested most ways that LMs are edited nowadays and found that they don't really handle ripple effects that well. And they ended the paper with basically just an in-context editing method where at the beginning of your prompt, you say the Eiffel Tower is in Paris and not London. And then now the model knows that whatever you prompted next, it uses that context, of course. And they found that that, of course, blows the water out of any other example of LM editing. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, Ethan, you think this has, you know, got some deep impact on how we're going to be able to use LLMs in the future? Is this like a fundamental flaw or is this just a, you know, a little, tr you know, trick for a paper? Yeah, I think half trick for a paper, half engineering hacked. You know, some people use LLMs in combination with a search tool or a vector database to kind of set up a separate fact database so they can reduce these hallucinations. And some people are trying to say, hey, we want all the facts embedded in the LLM and we're going to keep editing the LLM. And oh no, a big problem with editing it is these ripple effects. So it's kind of a common sense problem that actually is a fairly big problem for the LLMs. There's a lot of symbolic representations you have to edit just for one new fact. You know, if you think of a new fact you learn, it updates a lot of your priors about the world. So for the people who use LLMs in this way, which is, you know, most of ChatGPT and kind of most of the large language models right now, it is a problem. And I like the way they have this new benchmark. So we'll see if people kind of continue to use it this way or separate fact databases become popular. But this is pretty if, interesting for adversarial editing also, because the ripple effects also apply if you're trying to teach the LM a lie, if you're trying to like change the knowledge from a fact to a lie. So mm -hmm. for attackers who are trying to, like the UAE and how they've edited their model Falcon to talk about the UAE better. If you want to change what an LM thinks in a false way also, this applies in the same way. It's very interesting for that also. 
Well, if LLMs are approximating being humans, then fact checkers are probably something that we're going to need for some, some time ahead. It is, they are just trained on things humans have done. So community knows for LLMs. Community knows for LLMs. Yeah. The real, the real reinforcement learning. <laughs> the, uh, one th the, the last thing uh, I'll say about it is that I thought it was interesting that they noted that, um, changing facts about popular entities actually caused the most problems. Uh, which is somewhat understandable as the, as the tentacles of something popular are probably reaching farther into the LLM and requiring more things to be updated. Yep. On to our next story. That was a nice primary source story for you all. Moving on to our next story. Let's get back into the LK99 news. We are so back. <laughs> we were so gone. We are so back. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what's real anymore. That's what we're all here for. Some exciting new news. It seems that, you know, there was a supercomputer simulation saying that this is, you know, possible. Uh, there are some stories of uh, people starting to replicate it. Um, one in China, I think maybe there was one in Romania. I think the folks down the street at Varda are also still uh, wor working on it. Uh, this is super exciting. Room temperature superconductor LK99. It's not dead yet. It seems like there's, you know, the, 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 the weight seems to be trending towards it being somewhat real as opposed to everyone just, you know, coming at it, uh, over and over saying this, this is, this is bull. Ethan, what, what did you, what are your, what's your take? What are you thinking? I think it's pretty exciting. We saw manifold markets jump to like 55% after these two stories. So of course the first story was that big kind of, uh, just quantum chemistry super con super computer over at the DOE, they got to simulate what is LK99 actually doing. Um, and they were able to find that, hey, there are some copper bands within LK99 that move energy at the Fermi level. So they're pretty much showing that there are some bands within this element that show superconductivity, which is pretty cool. And it also explains how the kind of the currents that you can put through LK99 is not super high because right now it's only a couple of these bands, but a huge discovery at the end of the day could mean we have another five, 10 years of engineering to actually get these elements and increase the number of bands and make it a usable superconductor. But end of the day, they've simulated that, hey, there's two bands in here that exhibit these properties. So that's super cool. And then we got to see the news out of China where another, you know, Meisner effect floating rock um, over at a kind of test case in China. So two big, huge news. It kind of completely shifted the markets, got people excited again. I, I think, you know, I think it's showing we have something real here. How long it's going to take to put into use, I don't know, but it's real. Yeah, it's pretty bullish. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's pretty bullish that like the original hypothesis of the paper had that it was the copper atoms percolating into the lead crystal. Like their hypothesis that's that is what made it superconductive. And mm -hmm. then the... DOE simulation that that does actually cause superconductivity to be possible. Very bullish that they're right about that. So. Yeah, I love there, there's so many great parts of this story, like the whole quartz tube thing may have just been some complete accident that, you know, the, you know, the, the famous story of um, Thomas Edison is, you know, he, he figured out 5,000 ways to not make a light bulb. Which is to say, a lot of times, fundamental scientific progress just means, you know, trial and error until you get lucky and, you know, can't actually discount that as a, you know, major part of what's moved science forward over the years. And 
possibly part of what's happening here. And um, I guess the folks in Wakanda will potentially be losing their monopoly on on Uptanium uh, if this ends up being true. Sorry, Wakanda. And uh, great. Anything else to add to this story? I I saw it pretty interesting, like a big problem with this, especially because of the whole crystallization of copper into lead. A big problem is like how that crystals form in Earth gravity. So Delia and Varda, they were tweeting how like, of course, space doesn't have that problem. So very interesting superconductors in space. Exactly. Superconductors in space. I love it. Powerful. Yeah, very powerful. All right, let's move on to our third story. Also another primary source story, which we love, which we love over here about radiology, radiologists (laughs) and AI. And I think this is interesting because it points to some real world applications of when we're combining, you know, basically the paper is asking, is it better to have an AI be your radiologist? Is it better to have a radiologist be your radiologist? Or is it better to have them work together? And, you know, Elon, Elon, uh, commented on this tweet with an exclamation point because the papers seem to find that when the AI and the radiologists work together, it was kind of like the worst results. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're pointing to a few different things in there, uh, which we'll get into. W- what did you think about this, Connor? What were your takeaways? Yeah, as you said, it's very interesting that, like, having the human in there at all kind of makes the worst result. So this kind of points to in the future, it won't be human having the AI as a co-pilot. It'll be either the AI with the human as a co-pilot or just the AI. Bullish on AI, really. <laughs> Sorry, humans. The, 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 the questionable robot in the group is talking uh, crash about humans, unsurprisingly. Ethan, what do you, what's your read? Yeah, it's like no matter how much progress we have with AI, if you can't get people to use it, um, you're not going to see its fast application in medical, et cetera. So it kind of got me thinking about like UX of AI, right? Are you going to have to, like people are into explainability of these models. So how do you get them to explain it to people so they feel comfortable using the outputs? How do you get it to PSYOP people so they kind of like use the co-pilot more, right? Is the LLM going to have to use explainability and kind of like almost just PSYOP them into using some of these kind of outputs and models. So just kind of UX around how does AI affect people? How do we get it into, you know, real industries hands? I think about lawyers too, it's kind of similar to, similar to medical and the fact that there's a lot of these tools out for lawyers now, but not all of them are using it. They're not too into it. It's still such a slow moving industry. So how do we fix some of those problems? And are we just going to have to see the complete autopilot of them, our co-pilots on their way out? I think I'm with Connor on the fact that I've never been a big co-pilot person. Yeah. You know, I think there's uh, some big Im- implications here and probably we're going to see some changes. In the end, it always just kind of comes down to who wants to underwrite what. And, you know, are you going to underwrite the doctor? Are you going to underwrite the AI? Are you going to underwrite both and be like, hey, you know what? This is what our AI is saying to do. And this is what the doctor is saying to do. You know, we can go in either direction for your treatment. Uh, just know that either way you can't sue us. We don't care. <laughs> you're going to have to pick pick one or the other. And yeah. maybe it's maybe it's left up to the person. I mean, kind of what they've showed is that the, the radiologists favored their own interpretation over the AIs and, you know, sort of thought that the AI, AI came to a conclusion 
somehow independently of their conclusion, even though it was based off of the same uh, information. So, you know, clearly yeah. it wasn't just kind of making up its own stuff. It was, it was, they were both informed the same way. So, you know, which is more likely to get underwritten, the, the doctor or the AI results? And I wouldn't be surprised if it was the AI in the long run. And we maybe, maybe we'll have this weird transition period where, like I said, you'll get both options presented to you. Yep. Like, okay, what do you want to do for your treatment? The AI treatment or the doctor's treatment? They don't, they're not agreeing here. Patients, of course, often get second or third opinions from their primary care doctors. So this could be the same thing. You have your primary care doctor and then you have a second opinion from a global AI that has a lot more information than your doctor, but just isn't your personal doctor. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll be ineffective babysitters of AI until we can blame the AI. Yeah. So, and, until you can underwrite the AI, you'll still have to underwrite the person. All right. Let's jump into the what we're seeing portion of our fine show here. Uh, Ethan, what are you seeing out there? Uh, yeah, Neon, well, um, a fantastic serverless Postgres database. I uh, saw that they raised $46 million in a Series B, so congrats to them. We've used them before. Um, really fantastic product. And, you know, they're kind of also catching on to the AI wave with PG Vector. So instead of using a full set vector database, you can use PG Vector within Postgres. And I think we're seeing a lot of application developers and companies use it. So they're really latching onto that wave, and I think it's helping improve their product and find them new customers that might not want to switch their whole database. So, yeah, check them out. We like them. Big fan. Nice. Connor, what do you see them? Langchain, of course. They raised $7 million a while back to productize the Langchain framework. Langchain, of course, is just a framework around AIs to prompting and chaining and all that. They raised $7 million to build products a while back. We talked about Langsmith, which they announced a bit ago. And yeah, I've been playing around Langsmith the past week. Pretty good. I'd recommend trying it out. That's a lot of logs and observability of how you can use Langchain or really any other framework. Very helpful, I think. Um, just monitoring how you use OpenAI and how your prompts output. If you're not saving it in your own database, you should be saving it somewhere. Nice. Um, I saw that uh, OpenAI filed a trademark for GPT-5. So we don't know what that means. We don't know if that means it's coming or they're just getting way ahead of it. But I thought that was, that was kind of interesting. And it included some, you know, uh, audio and language related uh, stuff. So it wasn't just, it didn't seem like it was just language related, like text related. It had some audio portions to it. Uh, and also an interesting uh, paper that somebody, not, not a paper, basically an article, a rundown of uh, the state of uh, supply and demand in the GPU world, uh, heavily based around NVIDIA's H100 GPUs. And not surprisingly, they're finding that uh, there's stuff to get them. And especially the the ADEX clusters and, you know, people are fighting to get them. There's hopefully going to be some more supply coming up here soon. Uh, the article was interesting, though. It was, it was pretty detailed. They talked about different OEMs that you can try and work with and if you're trying to get your hands on some GPUs, I highly recommend reading it. Yeah, they really dig into the depths of like the actual materials needed to make GPUs of the yeah. silicon, rare metals, a lot of interesting details that you don't think about day to day when using them, of course, but it's important in seeing the bigger picture of when more GPUs will be available, et cetera. Which it looks like 2025 based on their estimates and some other great market analysis, another year and a half of backlog. All right. Well, thanks for joining us here for another exciting episode of AI Daily. We'll uh, be seeing you tomorrow, probably. Have a great day, everybody.
See you guys. Peace, guys.